0: Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I am your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, I would like to invite you to stay with me. It's going to be 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, some education. And never any manipulation because we don't play games with people. We're not trying to con you into doing anything. We don't have anything for you to join. We're not trying to solicit anything from you. We're simply trying to give you accurate information. Information that will help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. That's right. It's a show about the Bible, but, n- but not, a, not a, a dialogue. It's a monologue. It's just me talking to you. If I can give you accurate information, you can orient and adjust to that information if you'd like. You have the freedom, you have the privacy to do what you like. But I hope you'll listen. I hope you'll give it a shot. This morning, wherever you may be, I hope that you will give me a few minutes of your time because I believe what I have to say will challenge you and encourage you and give you some insight, maybe, maybe, that you haven't seen before. You know, the flatline is always about God's problem-solving devices. That's the name of the show, The Flot Line. It is a military acronym for the Forward Line of Troops. And what we're basically teaching on this radio show is there are some invisible assets that we have available taught in the Bible. Nothing new, nothing weird, but there are assets taught in the Bible that we can tap into, and if we use them, then we can stop the outside sources of adversity before they become the inside source of stress. The concept is that adversity is inevitable and stress is optional, because adversity is what circumstances do to us, but unfortunately, stress is what we do to ourselves. So by using these problem-solving devices found in the Bible that have been there and recorded for us ever since the Bible was put into print, then we can live a life free of worry, we can live a life free of fear, We can live a life free of bitterness and pettiness and implacability, free of revenge motivation, free of self-pity. There is a better way to live, and it is simply called the Christian life. It's the life that our Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated while he was here in human form, and it's the life that he passed on to us today. And that life is described and explained in the Bible. And if you understand what the Bible says about these things, you will, you will see it. You know, unfortunately, God gave us two ends. Maybe not unfortunately, but maybe fortunately. But he did. He gave us two ends. And success in life depends on which end we use. It's heads we win and tails we lose. Does that make sense? Listen to what the Bible says if you want to win. Ephesians five seventeen, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, if you want me to paraphrase it, I can say, don't be a dummy. Wake up, pay attention, understand what it is that God wants you to learn. You see, this is a Sunday morning radio show. And in your area, it's playing on talk radio. I'm not asking these shows to be on Christian radio. I don't even care for that kind of format. This is on talk radio. And hopefully, those of you that may be listening to me today, maybe, maybe this may make sense to you. If you get on to Christian radio, there's so many weirdos on there that who knows what's going on. But a lot of people this morning are headed for church. A lot of people are going to church where they're going to spend the next hour glazed and dazed that's right, like a donut glazed over and dazed. Some of them are actually born-again children of God, and some of them are simply going to go because of the ritual. However, there is no reality to what they're doing, and unfortunately, ritual without reality, well, that's just meaningless. See, many people think that worship is being spiritual. It's singing and praising God and They seek to give God the glory by attending some sort of, quote, worship service. And we can quote Psalm 50, verse 23, Whosoever offereth praise glorifies me. So if that's true, football players in the game, uh, the fans are worshiping the football players. That's right. And does God want you to worship him? Yes, absolutely he does. And if you're going to offer praise to God, then perhaps you need to know what to be praiseworthy or what is praiseworthy. So what is the question here is praising God. Praising God in a song service is a good way to glorify God, but it's not how we grow in grace. Now, if you want to just go praise God and sing a song, raise your hands and tell everybody how much you love the Lord, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to grow spiritually, and you want to hear God say how much I love you, then you're going to have to learn some things. Because the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. And the Bible says in 2 Peter three eighteen, 18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So no one, I repeat, no one has ever grown spiritually, not one inch, by singing praise songs about God. That's not how you grow. And if we're mandated in the Bible to grow up spiritually, then spiritual growth comes through study. So if we go to church and we're there for an hour, and we spend forty-five minutes singing and praising God, and fifteen minutes of hopefully, instructional teaching from the pastor. We're not growing very much. We're growing 15 minutes at a time. And the typical person's going to go to church 15 minutes on Sunday morning and for 15 minutes of clear teaching I'm talking about, and maybe 20 or 30 minutes of clear teaching on Sunday night, and maybe 30 minutes of clear teaching on Wednesday night. So if you had... Let's listen to this. If you had an hour and a half of clear Bible study a week, would you grow spiritually? Well, the answer is maybe a little bit. But you spend that much time watching American Idol when it comes on. An hour and a half? If I go fishing for an hour and a half, I'm not going to have many fish. You know? You're going to have to have a little bit more time in the word. Now the word study in 2 Timothy 2.15 and the word grow in 2 Peter 3.18 are both imperative verbs in the New Testament. This simply means these are not God asking you to study, asking you to grow. This is God commanding you to study and to grow. So if I put it simply, I'm saying this, I am to study the scriptures. I am to learn about the grace of God. I am to have the knowledge required to function in God's plan. And if I do not do this, in spite of how much I may go sing praises to God, I will be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ when my lack of understanding is demonstrated by my poor performance. There is a judgment seat for believers. It is called the Bema, not the great white throne. That's for unbelievers. That's in Revelation. The Bema is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is where believers are evaluated based on their production. Your sins have already been paid for. The Lord Jesus Christ assumed your sins on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins. Thus when you believe in Christ, you are redeemed and you are justified. So when the believer is judged, he's not judged based on his sins. He's judged based on his production. And if you read 1 Corinthians 3:11 through16, you will see some of it is wood hay and stubble, some of it is gold, silver, and precious stones. And the difference is that the wood, hay, and stubble it all of those nice, good deeds you did from tithing to going to church to singing in the choir to teaching Sunday school, all the nice, right, proper things you did in the wrong way. And they did not glorify God and they're burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. You could do exactly the same thing teach Sunday school, tithe, go to church, sing in the choir, and it could be gold, silver, and precious stones if you do it in the right way. And so the question, and this is where we have to know something, the question is what's the right way and what's the wrong way? What's the difference? And the difference is the protocol plan of God. The difference is this, that a right thing has to be done in the right way or it's wrong. I mean, for example, is it wrong to pray? And the answer is no. But the Bible says if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So there are times that our prayers are not being heard. But when are those times? When we have sin in our life. That's when the Holy Spirit is quenched. That's when the Holy Spirit is grieved. And that's when he can't do his job, as per Romans 8, where he's supposed to, intercede for us. And it's the same thing with you if you go to church and sing in the choir or or tithe or, or do whatever you may do at church. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, it is a right thing, but it is being done in the wrong way because you're doing it from the energy of the flesh. You're doing something that an unbeliever could do. You're not doing it from the power of the Holy Spirit who's controlling you and filling you because he has been quenched and grieved by your sin. And until you use problem-solving device number one, until you rebound and regain fellowship with God, nothing you do will glorify God to the maximum, and it will all be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ simply as human good, not divine good. So all of this starts with us coming to understand God's plan, and what God expects from us. Listen to Jeremiah 9, 23. I am looking for those who know me and understand me. If you want to know God, you must understand that Jesus is his son, and Jesus Christ as the son of God is the only way you can reach God. You can't get to God any other way. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ made this statement in John. John recorded it. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And I'm adding the words, I am. No man can come to the Father but by me. In John ten seven, Jesus said unto them again, Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and he shall go in and out and he shall find pasture. That's using the analogy of the sheep as in John 10, and 29, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. This is what the Lord called us. We're his sheep. Why is it that Jesus Christ is the only way to God? Why? Because he is the divine son of God. Because he paid the penalty for our sin. Because he alone satisfied the justice of God. And he alone could do it because he was perfectly righteous. Without his righteousness, he couldn't have done that. He was the perfect lamb of God, without spot and without blemish, who took away the sin of the world. So he was capable of satisfying the justice of God because he had the equal righteousness that God had. And the only reason we can go to heaven through Jesus Christ is because God the Father accepted the sacrifice of the Son as the ransom for our sin. That's why a holy God requires a perfect sacrifice. And unfortunately, you and I are not perfect, so we cannot satisfy the justice of God. There's nothing we can do to satisfy the justice of God and have our sentence imputed to someone else or or to be taken off of our head. We can't do it because we're humans. We are humans. We are not perfect. So God reached down to us before we ever reached up to him. And it was on the cross that Christ made God accessible to us. Jesus was made for that cross And that cross was made for him. And he was given to us as our redeemer. And when we believe in him and receive him as our savior, which is simply an act of faith, the Bible says, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can do it anywhere, anytime, any day, any place. Just simply say, father, excuse me, father, I believe that Jesus Christ is your anointed son. And I would like to receive him as my savior. You say, that's it. That's it. That's all that's required. A demonstration of your faith. He that believes that Jesus is the Christ. First John five, one is born of God. These things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. He that has the son has life. and He that has not the son of God. Hath not life. So once you have that new relationship with God through Christ, then you have a new life. Let me give it to you this way. You're either going to have two birthdays or you're going to have two deaths. Two birthdays or two deaths. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, first of all, you have to be born physically. And then secondly, you have to be born spiritually. If you're only born physically, Like you showed up at the hospital on such and such date. And that's all you have is a physical birth. And you don't have the spiritual birth or you haven't been born again. As the Bible says in John chapter 3. Then you're going to have death one. Which is the physical death. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And then you will have death two. And that's being cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, whoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. All right, so keep that in mind. Have you had two birthdays? Well, I know you had one. You're here. You're listening. Have you had the second birthday? What do I mean by being born again? Nicodemus didn't quite understand that in John chapter 3, and Jesus sort of chastised him and said, I can't believe you're a Pharisee and you don't know this sort of stuff. When you're born again, it's like this. You're born into the world the first time physically, and you have a body, yes you do, and you have a soul, but you do not have a human spirit because you're spiritually dead. When you come to the cross and receive Christ as your Savior, you still have the same body, You still have the same soul but now God the Holy Spirit comes to live in your human spirit and you are born again spiritually speaking and now you're able to have fellowship with God when you couldn't earlier if we're going to worship God the Bible says we have to worship him in spirit and in truth and so you have a new spiritual life in Christ second Corinthians 517 says if any man be in Christ He's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. You now have your old physical life. It's still there. And you have a new spiritual life. You've been born again spiritually. A spiritual birth demands a spiritual life, just like a physical birth demands a physical life. So you had to grow. You had to have some birthdays. You remember when you turned 21 and now you're 35 and then you're going to 40 and 50, you're going to find out like everybody else that when you're 20, you're worried about what people think about you. And when you're 30, you don't care what they think about you. And when you're 50, you're going to find out they never thought about you anyhow. So, you know, we have physical life. We grow old and you must have a spiritual life where you grow up and become a mature Christian a mature believer. That simply means you understand how the program works. Just take that football analogy again. You can be a great football player, have all the talent, all the energy, all the speed, all the strength, but if you don't understand the plays, they're not going to put you in the game because you're going to mess it up. God is looking for a few people that understand the plays. He wants to put you in the game. You've got all the equipment, but until you understand how it works, he can't use you, so you have to learn how to function in this new spiritual life, and the Lord Jesus Christ promised that he would teach you. Listen to what he said in John sixteen seven. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away, because if I don't go away, then the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you, and he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. You have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, same verse. And it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead you into truth, but he cannot, cannot do it if he's not controlling you. And therefore, you're told in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit. You're told in Galatians 5.16 to walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And yet, people don't ever tell you how to be a Spirit-filled Christian. They make it complicated. They make it sound like you're going to have to roll your eyes to heaven, foam into mouth, flop on the floor, before you can ever have this new Spirit-filling thing. No, listen. When you sin, you quench the Holy Spirit. And when you use problem-solving device, number one, when you go to God and you confess your sin, then you regain the filling and you resume your spiritual life. When you accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelled you, and he sealed you, and he filled you. But the first time you sinned, you didn't lose the indwelling, you didn't lose the sealing, but the filling was quenched. He cannot fill you, and you became carnal or fleshly. Then when you confess your sin to God, then 1 John 1, 9 says he's faithful and just to forgive you and purify you from all of your wrongdoing. Every time you go to God and admit your sin, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you may have to do it 20 times a day until you get some maturity, till you grow up a little bit. Never be ashamed to go to God and admit your failures. Never be ashamed to tell him I've sinned and tell him what you did because that's the secret to the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that happens second later or two years later or five years later down the road when you get some special anointing and some special power. He gave you your spiritual gifts the moment you got saved. He gave you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit the moment you got saved. It's there. You have to learn how to use it. And so the Bible is clear. This Holy Spirit, the one that is in you, is the very same Holy Spirit that sustained our Lord Jesus Christ and guided him during his time on earth. The Lord Jesus Christ imparted that Holy Spirit to us, each one of us. And it's through the Holy Spirit we live the spiritual life. Okay? Listen to Galatians 5. The flesh wars against the spirit. The spirit wars with the flesh. They're contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you should. Paul put it this way in Romans seven fifteen: I do not understand myself. For what I wish I could do, I don't do. And the things that I hate, that I do. Romans seven fifteen. So if you're going to have a successful spiritual life, That means you're going to glorify God to the maximum and you're going to show up at the judgment seat of Christ and receive tremendous rewards. If that's going to happen, you have to learn how to let the Holy Spirit control your life every day. And that's why Galatians 5.16 says, Walk in the Spirit. And then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So how do you walk in the Spirit? Well, you were sealed, Ephesians 1.13, the moment of your salvation. And you were indwelled, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have of God? You were indwelled, and you were filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then God gave two negative mandates, Ephesians 4.30. Don't grieve the Spirit. First Thessalonians 5.19, don't quench the Spirit. He's there. He's in you. You have all the power you need to live the Christian life if you'll tap into it, if you will rebound, problem-solving device number one, if you will admit your sin to God and take the canon of Scripture, sit under a qualified pastor, begin to study, begin to grow, and begin to learn, so that God can use you and God can put you into the game. It's critical that you know this. Listen, the carnal mind, the mind out of fellowship with God, the Bible says in Romans 8-7, the carnal mind is hostile to God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. These are signs that you are carnal when you have unconfessed sin in your life. When you have that unconfessed sin in your life, and you're letting your old sin nature control you. And the Bible says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8:8. A Christian in the flesh is a Christian with sin in his life, unconfessed <laughs> sin in his life. So at this point, when you let sin get into your life and you don't deal with it, you get stalled out. And you might continue to go through the motions, continue to go to church continue to sing in the choir, but it's all ritual, and it has no reality to it. So you have to recover. You have to resume your spiritual advance. The question is, how do you do it? How do you recover when you failed? How do you resume your spiritual advance when you're out of fellowship? Do you surrender to God? Do you yield to God? Do you rededicate your life to God? I mean, all of these words that organized religion comes up with, they really don't mean anything because nobody tells you what they mean. I mean, come on, what does it mean to surrender to God? Just exactly how do I surrender? Tell me the steps. One, two, three, what I have to do. Or yield to God. What, what are the steps? The step I'm telling you, rebound, only has one step. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to purify us from all wrongdoing. One simple step. Again, Psalm 66, 18. If I regard sin in my life, the Lord will not hear me. It is so evident that in Christianity today in the United States of America, we have substituted ritual for reality. And we have generations of believers in Jesus Christ do not understand the mechanics to the Christian life. The simple mechanics. How does it work? A, B, C. I hope I'm making sense. And I hope you're listening. I hope you're learning. Until next week, this is the host of The Flatline, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for being with me today. Thank you for listening to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054 or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.